Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Starting Up where we discuss various issues around the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Zimbabwe and beyond. Today we're going to delve into a very topical issue, one that has caused a lot of heated debate in various circles for years and has come to the fore once again. The issue of the implicit bias towards black founders when it comes to access to funding from the predominantly white-owned investment vehicles out there. Earlier this week, The Guardian carried a piece entitled, Silicon Valley has deep pockets for African startups, if you're not African. A few days after that, an image was trending on various social media platforms. This image shows a list of 24 white founders who are allegedly running the top startups in Kenya. I shared it on LinkedIn and got some very interesting responses. Sarah says she's saddened but not surprised by this. So much about business investment is trust and understanding. And many studies have shown it is faster to develop trust with other people who come from the same cultural background and communicate in the same way that you do. Wangani says this has been a strategy for years. A lot of Americans and Europeans moved to Kenya to get startup capital earmarked for African startups. So you combine this with the access to financial services that they have back home. Kenyans and other Africans do not stay a chance to compete. The general consensus seems to be that the racial bias does exist and we have been talking about all of this for way too long. What are your thoughts around all of this Costa? Hi just saw you doing. Oof. I think on the top there's a lot of uh, racial tension bubbling. I was reading some of the comments on your post on LinkedIn and it's a conversation that people probably were having in corners the black corner, the white corner, but it now seems like people are having it in one room and it's a quite a contentious uh, conversation. The bigger question, right, is obviously merit. That's the first thing. Do the ideas that are being funded have merit? Right? Should they be funded over the other ideas that are being funded? That's the first thing that we have to look into. In the Guardian article, one of the things that was cited are the African entrepreneur who was a participating in a Y Combinator program, says he felt that the questions that we were being asked had to do with trust, the fact that the white people on the other end of the phone didn't trust that a black person on the other end understood that the money that he was being given was for the business and not himself. And his question was, would you ask another white person the, the, the same thing? So I think we need to find new models that can profitably support niche businesses specific to a regional country. So I'm sure we can all agree that we're tired of talking about this and it is time for action. What can we do? What viable models of funding can we adopt in the African entrepreneurial ecosystem? To give an insight on this, we're joined by Dr. Livesgood, Seleboho Molefe. He's the founder of the Hookup Dinner, Africa's fastest rising entrepreneurship movement. The organization recently launched the third money franchise stock fund, which is raising community capital to invest in buying franchises. Selebogo is also the co-founder of the People's Fund, an asset-based crowdfunding vehicle. So the things that we're doing are, are high risk. That's the nature of starting anything, you know. You need backing to, to apply innovation to things and whatever. You need, you need backing, you need patient capital. And unfortunately, we don't have that in abundance um, here locally, and not just in South Africa, but across Africa. I mean, I think Nigeria is a little bit better. And if you are white, it's a bit better because um, you already have the social capital that supports um, the, the environment you're trading in. You can, you can have a bit of time. I mean, we, we've had quite a few white co-founders in our networks who, 
we don't know how these guys make money, but they're driving every day, <laughs> they're eating, they're ordering McDonald's and stuff. And you sitting there, you're like, I can't order anything because I have to invest every cent and I still have to go and pay rent and everything else. I can't go on a date on a Friday night. But your wife co-founder is actually going on holiday, like they're taking time out. And you're like, how is this working out? You know what I mean? Because they have the, the, the people capital that, that's, that allows them to do that. Those networks that at home, you know, it's their friends, their uncles, their moms, they have the money, they have the relationships. Their, their uncles are the CEOs who invest the capital in, into these startups. We don't have that um, majority of us in, in our African communities, but where we can change the narrative, it is in, ensuring that we put the first seed into the kitty, then they force to, 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 to start engaging us. Speaking of social capital, right? Take us through the journey from, yeah. from doing the hookup dinner, what it meant then the redirection to the People's Fund. The People's Fund sounds like a political party, by the way. And going now into buying franchises with group savings. I mean, the transformation has been yes. immense. The crazy thing is that before the hookup dinner, there were many networking platforms, right? Mm. Yeah. But, but we were not part of the inner circle. Okay. So because you're not part of the inner circle, you can you can network all you want, but okay. they are not going to let you. So they there, they're smiling with you, they're telling you kumbaya, but you're just not gonna see their money. Really, was that that that's not the thing? So we realized that as black entrepreneurs, we didn't have our own network that supported us, that that um, validated uh, this. So we needed we needed a peer to peer platform that helps to validate our ideas. So create your own. If you're not invited at the table, um, set up your own table. And that's exactly what we did. And just by doing that, we're able to attract the very same people who are keeping us out. They were now coming closer and saying, what are you guys doing here? At that point, you realize that by building your own social currency, it tends to social capital. And social capital is about relationships more than anything. And once those become solid, you are able to then start um, tapping into uh, actual money or um, access into networks, access into markets, access into development, all sorts of things, just purely because you've decided to create your own platform. And so that was a very big step for us to decide that being black, being in South Africa, knowing that we don't have connections, we're going to, we are going to be the connections amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that journey, up to the People's Fund in 2017, the People's Fund is a group of different black organizations coming together. Brown Sense is a bi-black platform. Stipe is an entrepreneurship development platform. Facebook is a master in um, uh, digital and, and e-commerce solutions. Um, Suha Africa is a network of black professionals that invest amongst themselves. And then you've got the Sadaf group that has just recently joined us, which um, the mostly an investor network, right? All of these groups have got one common agenda to, uh, to make money by empowering SMEs, black SMEs, majority black owned SMEs. So that in, on its own says we decided to turn our, our social currency into social capital by creating a vehicle that could actually help us to pull funds together and do something with it. And we happened to pivot into purchase because it was a profitable um, part of this. But that on its own sprung up new ideas. This year we've decided that we're gonna buy into franchises. In fact, the buying to franchises is just like the first step in the in the evolution of that. 
essence saying, we are going to use community capital to turn industries upside down. Nobody wants to give black SMEs trading opportunities uh, in their supply chains. You're always getting the crown. To turn this thing around, you've got to come in at ownership level. And the only way to get in, get in at ownership level is by the community getting together and pulling funds together. So we're going to do this and transform this one franchise at a time. By buying one franchise, proving the model, paying back investors and then seeing the returns, it, it, it will build us trust in the marketplace. And we all know business is built at the speed of trust. And that's the most important thing to remember for all of us. And because business is built at the speed of trust, the question is how quickly can we make sure that we build that trust in the marketplace? So our ambition really is to build an alternative to payment brands. We want when you think of when you think of whatever, it must be within this group of side entrepreneurs. And what that is going to do is that all of the services, all of the goods and services that are being procured by the by the group, the majority of it must be bought from the black SMEs who are the network, who actually are the investors themselves, they're the shareholders. So that is the concept for us around community capital. And we want to see right now with this franchising thing, I think it's going to be our most successful entity yet, age, out of all the things we've done, because you can replicate this. And what we are really saying is that we want to do cooperative economics. We want to turn stockpiles into cooperatives and make cooperatives sustainable and help cooperatives to, to own um, industries or to participate meaningfully in those industries and make sure that communities um, are sorted. I mean, the moment you launch one franchise, the minimum of 13 jobs that you're creating, just like that, by launching a franchise. Imagine if you, you, you've got proper capital in the kitty, the market is aggressive. I mean, we are already there. We are the customers. We are already the ones. I mean, right now I'm eating pizza. Why am I not owning that pizza joint with a group of people around me? That's it. That's what we are trying to solve. Because if we can do that successfully, it means we can start turning um, the supply chain. Where are you buying the potatoes? Where are the sources coming from? And if we have enough leverage, buying power, we can uh, we can negotiate with anything. It's hard to negotiate when you actually don't have ownership at the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, how important has the social capital when it comes to you implementing the things that you are implementing now? As you were talking about how difficult it is to penetrate all these networks, mm. how important has that been for you? It's, it's everything. Um, so, for instance, I protect my name because I've come to realize that my social currency, like anything that I post online, um, anybody that I'm associated with, the credibility that comes with that or the lack of uh, credibility is everything because people will trust what I have to say because they are able to search me. This is the beauty of the internet. People who are able to go and search, if there's uh, scandals around you, they already know that there's a red flag. But if there's positive stories around you on the, on the internet, and if people are vouching for your name because, hey, you actually deliver results, then, hey, they want to do business with you. So that's the importance of social capital. I realized it because first it was that, and out of that, we produced entrepreneurs. We are bounty hunters. We look for talent to turn the talent into um, something that would have they go on to become rock stars. And we're not making money out of that. Our, our client majority are corporate, and corporates are normally doing this for CSI uh, purposes, right? But the moment we could prove that we could help anybody turn their idea and take that idea to market and make it viable and, and profitable, they're like, okay, these guys can actually produce entrepreneurs. That is great. Now, what is next? And we constantly have to involve ourselves in this. 
And as we work, you build it social um, capital because people are watching. They're watching the results. We've just proven with the People's Fund that you can take a group of people, put them together, pull money, uh, the resources together, and fund entrepreneurs for, for work that they have to, to deliver to their end customers. And we've done over 100 million ranking. That is a, a rarity black financial company that is run by non-financial guys in South Africa. You know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. when you launch the next initiative, people are already looking at your, at your social currency. It's like, okay, I can trust what this guy has to say, but I can pinpoint the things he's, he's done before. There's a history. And it takes time to build that social capital from that point of view. So that has been the journey. And this is why we are able to say, when we mobilize and doing using social media to do these things, you know, like there's no budget for yeah. media or we put out the message on social media and said, guys, now we are buying uh, franchises. People that don't know you from a bar of soap, they research you quickly, they like in, and they actually transact, they put my full bank. The most important thing is to continue being trustworthy and being transparent about the process because now people have to with their money. And then for them to feel comfortable, you've got to be consistent with the communication putting up. So that, that, that is for me, uh, deep social capital is more than anything. Yeah, and I think on the trustworthy part, um, it's very important to then emphasize how you guys have managed to 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 implement all of this, especially when it comes to the entrepreneurs you're supporting with the People's Fund. How do you keep them accountable? The structures that you've put into place. Can we talk about that a bit? Yeah, so we we try we try and remove all of the barriers that have been created by industries. And when I say industries, I mean when you look at the development space, it is an industry. And the moment an industry is created, there's gatekeepers. It's it's mm-hmm. levels. Got to qualify to get into a certain thing. And entrepreneurs are always at the bottom of the food chain. It's almost like the aid industry. You know, you have to go and kiss ass with a million people for you just to qualify for a grant. You know what I mean? Right. We have said we're going to remove all of that. For instance, when we what would we look for when we do our due diligence? We are looking for your 12 months bank statement. Because we want to see that you've done this with this customer before. We don't care whether about financials. We don't care that your bank account says or in it. That's not the point here. The point is we want to see how the transactions move between your customers. And that's it. You know that is the number one. And then two, we go and do uh, and validate the purchase order that you are bringing. We want to know that the, the person that you are seeing is promising to pay you for the delivery of the service actually exists. And they legit. So we do our own background research on that. And then number three, we look at the suppliers. You could come to us with your um, uh, quote from your suppliers, but we have industry players uh, who where we can help you to get better rates. Why are we doing this? One is for quality, uh, efficiency, and most importantly is to help you make more money as an entrepreneur. So we have a vested interest in making sure that the entrepreneur makes money out of this deal because then we are solving an actual marketplace problem as opposed to the industry is built up of shots right now where they're going to be charging you uh, 15% and above. In fact, some entrepreneurs get charged up to, up to 25% interest um, for, for, for an order they get. We charge 6% of the, of the particular value, but it's still profitable and it's highly profitable because we're doing the little thing. We, we're focusing, we, we're looking at this and saying, how, how would we want to be treated and how have we been treated in the past when we had this problem? So just by focusing on, on those little things and building systems and processes around it and holding the entrepreneur accountable and making sure that if they default, 
there's measures in place to make sure that there's, uh, there's collections of money because this is investors' money after all that, that is being put into the yeah. system. That has been the process for us to ensure that accountability becomes a, a, an important thing. Communication, constant communication. We encourage entrepreneurs. We will tell them that we know that you are you are bound to run into problems. The worst thing you can do is run out there, keep quiet, or switch off your phone. When you do that, you're going to set the dogs off. But if you call us first before we call you and say you've got a problem, we understand because we're entrepreneurs ourselves, and we're going to co-create a solution to make sure that we can get the money back or help you chase the guys who are not paying you, whatever that's happening. But the moment you're being unethical about we set the dogs on you. Yeah, and then also, what are the challenges that you're experiencing when it comes to crowdfunding and on social media? We, we know there's so many scams going out here. Um, what are the challenges that you think that you guys have managed to overcome in that aspect? Transparency. Um, mm -hmm. Trust as a currency is the most important thing. The moment people trust you, they transact. And we've been able to prove that over and over. And a big part of it is that we've got people that are talking about us and that are vouching for us who are entrepreneurs. We represent entrepreneurs. And if entrepreneurs can stand up and say, those guys are the, are, are the real team. Those guys have never exploited us. That's all we need. Because then people are believing. And it's not about what we say, it's about what we do. And then it's about entrepreneurs speaking about us and saying, yes, and trust what they have to say. Um, that's really impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So now I, I want to go back to the question of uh, funding African entrepreneurs, right? Um, yes. And TPF has stepped in and said we'll fund those African entrepreneurs in business to make sure that they actually deliver their orders. For me, that's democratization yes. of access, right? You're making access to yeah. funding democratic. Uh, it's no longer about yeah. who you know; it's what you can do, right? Yes. Right. And the question comes now, what I'm most interested in is, is this latest bit, which is raising almost a million rand in four weeks, right, in yes. lockdown. And you didn't have to go to pitches to actually meet uh, yeah. uh, people in a suit, right? It looks like an overnight success, but like one person said, an overnight success usually on close inspection has been a long time uh, uh, working, right? It, 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 it takes me to to a lot of things. Number one, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. That's the African way of raising a child, right? Yeah. So what is community? And then yeah. we're now saying that the community, what did the community do? They congregated uh, back in the day and they put money together so that they can buy groceries at the end of the year so that the next year they can be, they might they have food on the table. Um, yeah. But you have said, you have leverage and that ability to come together based on trust and say, let us now buy the businesses where we should buy from. Right? Yes. And so what else? What else can we do? Because we have, this is a proof of concept that we can use community money yes. right, to fund the day-to-day -day business people who are supplying for a tender. Uh, they don't have to go to the bank. Yes. To it. Uh, you are also saying we can buy a franchise. What else can we do with community capital? Is it is it now? Do you think it's time we started stepping in the venture capital ring, or it's not our place? We still have other things to do. There's so much we can do, Costa. I mean, you know that we're building a bank. 
Yeah. Um, we've got a platform that people stock up, mm-hmm. and we each 100 rand a month into that kitty every month. And we've been doing it since November 2018. Mm-hmm. So we've raised over 1.6 million rand. Mm-hmm. We take that money, we invest the purchase orders on the people's fund, mm-hmm. and when the returns come in, we pay it back into the stock car. Mm-hmm. That continuous uh, loop and transaction that, that, con- that is constantly happening mm-hmm. is helping us to, to, to tap into a new industry using community capital. It's, uh, and and stock files, I mean, crowdfunding are stock files that are going to private school. You know what I mean? And when we start looking at concepts that way, we're simplifying and debunking the myths around uh, Silicon Valley and everything else. Everything is about people. Mm-hmm. If you can build trust with people, you can do so much more. So we've proven it in finance, and I believe that we want to build a multi-billion dollar company there in the next 10 years. We can already see the trajectory and where it's going with it. So if we've done finance, there are people that are doing exactly the same thing in the property space. Uh, they call CircuitCs the property stock, but they're doing amazing work, exactly the way that we are mobilizing right now in, in, in the franchising space. They're raising about a million a month. You know, they've raised over 4.5 million. They put in funds together and in our properties, and it's democratizing ownership because we realize that now all of a sudden, I mean, think about what we do with franchises. If you are alone, you would have to have 1.5 million alone to buy a franchise. But now because of the 100 people need popping out eggs, there's no need to go to a bank. There's no interest to, uh, or, uh, to be paid on that loan. We're coming up with cash and we're buying, and therefore we can turn the money a whole lot quicker to actually uh, start generating income from this thing. There's, there's, you've, you've, you've removed the gatekeeper, which is the bank, by, t- by, by pulling them together. Mm-hmm. And that can be replicated in all industries. But I want to take a step back. Mm-hmm. We are building networks that we continually have, have to continue doing this thing really well, where we must feel like a family wherever we are. When I get to Cameroon, I must feel at home. I mustn't feel like a stranger or a visitor. Africa is my home. We must treat the rest of the continent as home. And for that to happen, it takes time. Because there's also a lot of scams. There's also a lot of people who are trying to crook other people. And we have come across our facial scams. People that have come to us on our platform and scammed people. You know what I mean? We've all been through all of these things. But you don't give up at that point and then say, or black people or Africans are crooks or whatever. It's not true. You know what I mean? It's focusing on the niche community that gets it because then there's a multiplier effect. So what do we tell, what's the message to to black founders in Africa who are building their businesses to be attractive to white capital from Silicon Valley? The metrics of how funding of entrepreneurship and the entire ecosystem should be done on the continent has to change. So number one, you mentioned Ubuntu. Number yes. two, uh, you mentioned uh, social capital, yeah. uh, which is a function of a, of a social currency, which is we know yes. each other, right? It's located in an ecosystem to the point that it's been accelerated through social media where I can look you up, you know, and I see yes. who you know and I can cross-reference and I can put money. I mean, I think one of the most amazing things has been a million rand has been raised in four weeks when people are in lockdown where people don't have the yeah. opportunity to verify or shake your hand or look you in the eye, which is yes. something which is great. So what's the message to, to African founders right now in terms of how they create their business models around gearing for funding from communities? They must look within. I think the biggest challenge that we should face here is that we are trying to assimilate into white culture. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. screwing up big time because those people treat us as an option. We are an option to them. And we are, we are making them our priority. 
So there's a, there's a mismatch of values here. Think about it. The biggest funding to start anything always comes from friends, family, and folks. First, before any institutional investment comes in, right? So how are you treating your community? What we need is trust here locally and is to be authentic in our approach and to be humble, to be humble enough to realize that we might, you, you might be launching the, the latest app because we, we've got this whole app speak in our tech world, right? But what problem is this thing solving? Do the people in my community get it? Can they validate what, I, what I'm saying and what I'm doing? And when we co-create and we're building as a collective, there's so much more that we can achieve. We've proven it with the People's Fund. It's a network of uh, strong black founders coming together, having built their own individual things. But when we come together, we built a beast. None of us could have ever achieved that individually. But together, look at what we've built. Okay, so the message to African founders is Go back to your yes. community. Convince your community that your idea is good enough to invest. Let's leverage Ubuntu. Let's leverage social capital. Let's create clear and transparent structures, right? That allow people yes. to grow, to learn, and be able to leverage the collective social capital to, to start getting into spaces. Instead of waiting with a with a begging bowl, right? Um yes. for, for, for for a DFI or for a funder. Uh, that is coming to do renewable yeah. energy ETC. Because that's the only way we're going to be sustainable um, in the future. I think also one other very important message is create contextualized solutions. Yes. Just as the people fund, just as the stock well, it's important for us to create things that are applicable in Africa. Oh, what's next? Now that we have the money, what's yeah. next? What, what's our big move? Africans. Just to create our own industries and own them, right? Okay. Ownership allows us to, to, to control the narrative of the value chain. I'm sure you noticed that this episode was a bit longer and with good reason there were so many insights into how we can do things from here on. I hope you join us next week and then we talk about something else and interact. Enjoy your week. Bye.